Good evening and welcome to another episode of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with yours truly, Anthony Smith. And uh, I'm back at you again today, uh, last night when I did my podcast. I had no idea I'd be coming back again in less than 24 hours. Uh, it all, pretty much it all started last Wednesday when the UConn Huskies program decided we are postponing season and basically that's for all fall sports then upon last night we also learned that the MAC Mid-American Conference said we are pulling the plug on all fall sports which includes football not just a team or a couple of teams but the directors got together and said we're not going to do it because it's all about the safety and well-being of our players. You look at the fact that there was also a player from Kansas State University, Jonathan Alexander. He says, you know what, I'm opting out. And I know he's not the first, and I know he won't be the last. So when you look at how this is trickling down, we come back today with another report. It says the Power 580s, inevitable 2020 college football season will not be played this fall. I said last night, don't be surprised if the closer we get to football season, especially college football season, as optimistic as we want to be, there has to be a little bit of pessimistic mindset as well too. And the story goes a cancellation of the 2020 college football season this fall is unavoidable after the MAC canceled its season earlier in the day on Saturday. Two prominent Power 5 athletic directors told CBS Sports on Saturday. Both reacted to the MAC becoming the first FBS conference to cancel its fall season while also referring, referencing a lack of progress fighting the coronavirus according to their medical professionals. It's not fair what we're doing to our coaches and student athletes, one long time Power 580 said. The sooner we can come to a finality, the better. I think it's inevitable the season will not be played in the fall, said another veteran Power 580. Neither AD wished to be identified due to the sensitivity of the situation. The MAC news earlier, early Saturday, led to speculation that dominoes would begin to fall nationally among the nine other FBS conferences. The FBS is looking more and more like an outlier in forging ahead to play. UConn, an independent, canceled its season on Wednesday. Several FCS conferences have done the same, to the point that its subdivision may no longer hold a national championship. More than 30 Power 5 players, including multiple potential first-round draft picks, have opted out of playing in 2020, citing health concerns. I'm of the opinion it's when, not if, the 2020 season is canceled, the first AD said. The MAC announcement adds more momentum to the finish line. I think everyone's medical group is now all telling them the same thing. 
we all keep having the same conversations. Rumors continue to swirl Saturday that the Pac-12 and Big Ten would indeed be the next FBS conferences to cancel their respective 2020 seasons. Big Ten presidents met on Saturday, though a league source told CBS not to expect an immediate announcement to cancel its season. The feeling being that the league wouldn't alter its practice schedule and announce a cancellation on the same day. The Big Ten on Saturday announced it was indefinitely delaying a move to phase three of practice that would have allowed players to use pads. The Detroit Free Press reported that Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren is believed to prefer attempting to play a season in spring 2021. Pac-12 presidents will meet in a regularly scheduled call on CBS. A Power 5 source told CBS they believe the Pac-12 is very close to voting. That timeline could change in 20 minutes to organize a conference call if the situation continued to shift, according to one Pac-12 official. The Pac-12 will be the next, and then the Big Ten, the second AD said. The Big Ten just going to no contact. What's that going to do for you? With California being so prominent with coronavirus, I see the Pac-12 getting out there next. Four Pac-12 schools were encouraged by state health guidelines that suggested that they could start fall practice on August 17th as planned. We've all done it. We've all said it. Let's keep pushing. Keep pushing the play, the second AD said. I thought that was the best strategy. It's certainly not playing out that way. Now, it's just water torture. West Virginia Athletic Director Shane Lyons, who is also a member of the NCAA Division I Council and the chairman of the NCAA Oversight Committee, lent perspective to the season going forward this fall. I don't want to be the guy who is pushing it just to push it, but we have to understand that if we say we're not playing because of a virus until there is a vaccine, we might as well shut it down for the next two or three years, Lions told CBS Sports. Even though a vaccine might come out as early as next year, you don't know if it's going to work. How long is it going to take to get the population? There is already the beginners of a look ahead to spring football. The first AD stressed that eligibility for players participating in spring would have to be front burner item for the 2020 season before the 2020 season is moved. The first AD said that issue could begin to be addressed as soon as Wednesday when the NCAA Division I Council next meets. Several schools and conferences have said they would honor the scholarships of any players who opted out of the 2020 season. However, the question has not been answered as to whether those players will get an extra year of eligibility. Athletic departments would conceivably be on the hook for paying for an extra year. It is speculated and should be expected that several top draft eligible players will have already played their college snap if football is moved to the spring. Their last college snap if football is moved to the spring. 
if the spring season isn't made attractive enough in terms of an extra year of eligibility, several more could decide to sit out. All sides have to weigh the viability of playing two seasons in one calendar year. The eligibility piece is the most important thing to figure out first and foremost, the first AD said. I don't know what meaningful season we could put together in the spring that will make people willingly burn a year of eligibility. Whether college football is played this fall is increasingly becoming a case of risk tolerance. We know where UConn set its level. We know where the max risk tolerance stands. If only one remaining of the nine remaining conferences gets the proper health recommendation to proceed, would it play? I think there will be people that will risk it. Northern Illinois Athletic Director Sean Frazier, a proponent of the max cancellation decision, told CBS Sports, I can't say that they are right or wrong. I'm hoping there is no loss of life or long-term effects. MAC Commissioner John Steinbrecher would not speculate whether his conference's decision would cause domino effect with other leagues. This decision isn't a financial decision, he said. It's a health and well-being decision. The health and safety concerns are becoming more prominent. A group of players in at least four major conferences are questioning a safe return of football. Ohio State players on Friday issued a statement separating themselves from that Big Ten protest. We have all chosen to be here, the statement said. So there you have it. And like I said last night, and I'm going to say it again today, and in this article, it mainly mentioned what happened with UConn and also the MAC, but it also brought up the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And I believe that once those two conferences, and I'm like the anonymous AD said, not a matter if, but when they come out and say, we're not going to do it, you can basically kiss college football as we know it goodbye this season so now the next thing is I ask you this question knowing well maybe we don't know but it's beginning to look more and more inevitable that there won't be a college football season what are you going to do with the sports that we do have on, what is your sport of choice to be in tune with? Will you continue to watch the NBA into the playoffs? Will you consider watching the WNBA? I can tell you from my experience watching WNBA games, they put a good quality on the floor. Hands down, they put a good quality on the floor. And I know some people don't like to talk women's sports, I've talked with plenty of men that don't like to talk women's sports. Or they may talk it when it's around the Olympic time and they're talking about the women's soccer team or whatnot. But that's about as far as it goes. Uh, I've always been on this bandwagon right here. I used to 
when my daughter, when she was a little girl, used to take her to Wichita State women's basketball games. As a matter of fact, I went to a game without her, and I got accused of being the reason that they lost because the game that I did take her to, they won. And the game I went to when I didn't take her, they lost. And it was my fault because I guess she was their good luck charm. And my theory was like this, if, especially if most in most cases, I'm going to say it like this, women will support their children in their sport of choice. Sometimes it's hard to get men out there. But the one thing that baffled me, and I'm not going to name drop this time, but the station that I work with, uh, there's a guy, and I had him on my podcast. He said, anybody that talk women's sports should be banned from talk radio. Well, I disagree with that. But back to my original question, what sports are you going to watch? The NBA, the WNBA? Or are you going to tune in and watch golf and the tournaments that they have? Are you going to continue to watch NASCAR? Are you going to watch hockey as they played in a bubble? Are you going to watch baseball? Because right now, that's the card that we're dealt with. That's what we're dealt with. Uh, basically, it's like someone that said, here, here's a lemon. What are you going to do with it? Well, the old saying goes like this, when life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. So that's what we're dealt with right now. It's a very strong possibility there will be no college football this fall. When I come back, I'm going to talk about another report that is before us. Uh, If I can pull that up. It was a report where Draymond Green was fined $50,000 for tampering. I will have that story and more when I return after a word from my sponsor. Okay, welcome back. And uh, what can we say about Draymond Green? It hasn't already been said. He just loves giving out his money, doesn't he? We've seen him in playoff games kick people. Well, let's just say kick people in places that you're not supposed to be kicked, okay? So Draymond Green gets $50,000 tampering fine for saying Devin Booker should leave Suns. The NBA has fined Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green $50,000 for tampering because of comments he made about Phoenix Suns guard Devin Booker while he was serving as a TNT analyst, the league announced Sunday. During Friday's broadcast, Green praised Booker and the Suns for their undefeated start in the NBA bubble at the Walt Disney World Resort. But get my man out of Phoenix. It's not good for him. It's not good for his career, Green said. They got to get Book out of Phoenix. I need my man to go somewhere he can play great basketball all the time and win because he's that type of player. Asked by TNT's Ernie Johnson whether he thought his comments were tampering, Green responded, maybe. The 
NBA clearly decided that they were. The league tightened its rules before this season when it comes to matters such as tampering, salary cap circumvention, and free agency timing, with one emphasis being the rule prohibiting player-to-player tampering. The fine amount is the maximum the NBA can give before a player can file a grievance, according to NBA's Bobby Marks. Booker, 23, is under contract with the Suns through the 2023-24 season after signing a five-year, $158 million extension in July 2018. He leads Phoenix in scoring at 26.4 points per game this season. The Suns are the only undefeated team in the NBA bubble going 5-0 since the league restarted play. Phoenix, 31-39, is a half game behind the Portland Trailblazers, 32-39, for the number 9 seed in the Western Conference and a berth in the play-in game for the postseason. Booker has not been to the playoffs with the Suns, who have not made the playoffs, made the postseason in 10 years years so there you have it Draymond Green just loves giving away his money I'm pretty sure though since that's the maximum that the league can find someone I'm pretty sure he will file a grievance and try to get a reduction but the bottom line is if it's Draymond Green his name is going to be attached to a fine of some sorts so more NBA news, and it's not good. 76ers Ben Simmons likely out for season. Philadelphia 76ers All-Star Ben Simmons will undergo orthoscopic surgery on his left knee and is likely to miss the rest of the season, sources tell ESPN. Simmons will have a loose body removed from his left knee in the coming days team announced Saturday. Only a deep Sixers playoff run could keep a fleeting hope of his return alive this season, sources said. Even then, his return from the procedure expected to take place outside of the Disney campus in the coming days is largely expected to come next season. The Sixers are preparing now for a postseason run that will come without Simmons, one of the league's most talented and versatile weapons. The loose body was a result of a left patella subluxation suffered in Wednesday's victory over the Washington Wizards. A subluxation of the patella means that the kneecap popped out of place but returned on its own. The Sixers had moved Simmons to the power forward spot, and now the team's offensive force turns fully to all-star center Joel Embiid. The Sixers will suffer significantly on the defensive end. Without Simmons and offensively, they'll count on a lineup of shooting surrounding Embiid that could give him more room to operate around the basket. The injury also means the return of Al Horford in Philadelphia's starting lineup. Horford had been replaced in the starting five by guard Shake Milton when Simmons was shifted to power forward after the Sixers arrived in Orlando, but now is back starting next to Embiid. The Sixers have struggled to maximize the talents of both big men when they have shared the court together since signing Horford as a free agent last summer. 
That has led Brown to try to limit the amount of time they were going to play together moving forward. Now he has little choice but to try to make it work. Horford started next to Embiid and played quite well in, in Philadelphia's 108-101 win over the Orlando Magic on Friday, finishing with 21 points and 9 rebounds in 30 minutes. We need Horford more than we've ever needed, and Brown said afterwards. So there you have the situation with Ben Simmons and his injury and what the 76ers need to do moving forward. So stick around. I have some more coming up for you after a word from my sponsor. Okay, welcome back. So there is one team in the NBA and particularly one player who has a very interesting take on who is his team's biggest obstacle. Giannis Antetokounmpo says Bucks' biggest obstacle after clinching a one seed is ourselves. After the Milwaukee Bucks came back from a 23-point deficit against the Miami Heat on Thursday to claim a 130-116 victory and clinch the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, Giannis Antetokounmpo was asked whether Miami was the biggest threat to stop the Bucks from emerging from the Eastern Conference and reaching the NBA Finals for the first time in 45 years. After pausing and then listing the five teams behind Milwaukee in the standings, Toronto, Boston, Miami, Indiana, Philadelphia, the NBA's reigning and presumptive most valuable player made his choice for who has the best chance of stopping the Bucks themselves. I think the biggest challenge for us is ourselves, answered the Cooper said. How are we going to play? How hard are we going to play? Are we going to play for one another? Are we going to defend hard? Are we going to be able to rebound the ball? Are we going to be able to make the extra effort? Are we going to dive on the floor? It's all about us. It's all about us. Antetokounmpo's answer also served as a perfect summation of the way the game between the Bucks and Heat had played out. Miami playing without Jimmy Butler, foot, and Grogan, Goran Dragic, ankle, stomped out to a 17-point halftime lead, hitting 13 three-pointers in the first half, and generally got whatever it wanted. When the Bucks emerged from their locker room after halftime, however. They were a different team. Milwaukee opened the second half with a 20-5 run to promptly get itself back into the contest. Then closed the game with another 25 run that turned a one-point game with under five minutes to play into a rout in what felt like the blink of an eye. It was just effort, said Chris Milton, who tied into the Kumpa to lead the Bucks with 33 points. We all spoke about it at halftime and realized we just weren't playing our ba- best basketball. 
we were one or two steps behind on everything. So our focus was just play harder, play better. Milwaukee certainly did that. And Miami, after playing so crisply in the first half, began to wear down on the weight of Milwaukee's aggressive play at both ends of the court, which allowed the Bucks to both start a parade to the foul line in the second half and get several members of the Heat, most notably Bam Adebayo, in foul trouble. In the fourth quarter, the absence of Miami's two best perimeter creators was clearly felt as the Bucks swarmed over whoever had the ball for the Heat, and Miami was forced into taking one difficult shot after another. And when those shots missed, it allowed the Bucks to get out into the open court. Which more than often, which more often than not culminated with Antetokounmpo, who finished with 33 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, while going 13 for 13 from inside, the three-point arc, getting to the rim, and throwing down a ferocious dunk. You have to give them credit, Heat coach Eric Spolstra said. They stepped up their pressure. We felt that more in the second half, and we didn't help ourselves either with the fouling, particularly in the third quarter. We were hacking and reaching. That allowed them to slow the game down a little bit and get to the free throw line and just kind of crawl back into it. But you have to give them credit for sure. The win clinched the top spot in the East for the Bucks. Although home court has a slightly different feel to it inside the NBA's bubble at Walt Disney World Resort. Still, the Bucks were happy to celebrate the accomplishment, which comes with four games to spare before the playoffs begin August 17. There also was the added bonus of it coming on Bucks coach Mike Bootenholzer's 51st birthday. Well, I don't think you'd ever guess to be coaching in an NBA game on August 6th, the coach said. So, pretty unique. In rare times to win a game, and more importantly, to have the best record in the Eastern Conference is a tribute to our players and what they have done every night and how they brought it. I'm very proud of them. So now what I want to do as I get ready to close out this podcast here. I want to look at the top 10 running backs of all time. The top 10 running backs of all time. And this may get very interesting and very dicey. It may even warrant conversation. Please leave your comments. I'll be glad to read them. Uh, leave, send me a, some type of a voice message. I'll be glad to listen to it. Or if you want to. If you're a fellow podcaster, we can hash this out on your show or my show. But let's look at top 10 running backs. Number 10, Earl Campbell. 
I wasn't really a Houston Oilers fan, but it was something about him. I enjoyed watching him play. The 1978 Rookie of the Year and MVP Oilers star Earl Campbell punished defense in his short career, earning Offensive Player of the Year honors in three consecutive seasons. Campbell topped 1,300 yards and double-digit touchdowns in five of his first six seasons thanks to a vicious running style that saw him run directly into the teeth of defenses frequently. He set a record with 373 carries in one season. Unfortunately, Campbell paid a price for that bruising mentality, putting up just five healthy seasons in the NFL. Number nine, Ladanian Tomlinson. Today, he's a change of pace back for the Jets, who's grooming a successor and chipping in the occasional goal line carry. But it wasn't long ago that LT was the premier running back in the game, scanning the field in his trademark visor and dissecting his opponents for nine straight double-digit touchdown seasons to open his career. He's also the owner of one of the most dominant seasons in history when he rushed when he crushed a single season record with 31 TDs and 186 total points in 2006. Number 8. It can be hard to take him seriously when you see the that Jerry curl, but Dickerson scampered for 13,259 yards in his 11-year career, leading the league in rushing three times and becoming the first halfback to gain 1,000 yards in seven straight seasons. A thoroughbred in the open field, albeit one in goofy goggles, Dickerson still owns the single-season record of 2,105 rushing yards set in 1984. And the three-time Pro Bowler also came up big in the postseason with a record 248 rushing yards in one 1986 game against the Cowboys, in which he broke off TD runs of 55 and 40 yards. Number seven, Gail Sayers. The Kansas Comet put up giant numbers in an injury-shortened 68-game career. Sayers started off with a bang, scoring 22 touchdowns in his rookie season and crossing the goal line six times in one December game, a record that still stands and a performance that none other than George Hallis called the greatest football exhibition I have ever seen. Oh, and he's also the best kickoff returner in NFL history with an unreal 30.56-yard average. Number six, Marshall Falk. The most important cog of the Rams' greatest show on turf. Falk is quite simply the greatest receiving running back of all time. But although he averaged more than 63 catches per season in his NFL career, the seven-time Pro Bowler could also run, tallying seven 1,000-yard seasons. Remember, 
This is the player who took home the Offensive Player of the Year award in three straight seasons, most memorably in 1999 when he eclipsed 1,000 yards in both rushing and receiving. Number five, O.J. Simpson. We know it's hard, but put his post-football mm, hijinks aside, and you have a legendary back. Wasted as a kick returner and decoy for his first three seasons in the league, Bill's head coach, Lou Saban, finally turned the juice loose in 1972. O.J. made the most of it with an explosiveness that helped him shoot through the line of scrimmage and into the open field, where his USC track skills took over. Best remembered for notching 2,003 yards in a 14-game season in 1973, Simpson had an NFL best six 200-yard games in his career, most of them coming for awful teams. He made the playoffs just once in his career. Number four, Emmett Smith. When you think of Emmett Smith, it's hard not to picture the over-the-hill back with Gray in his goatee and a grinding desire to take over the rushing record. It finally happened on October 27, 2002 as a Cardinal. But the eight-time Pro Bowler was the heart and soul of the Cowboys team that won three Super Bowls, including in 1993 when Smith became the only player ever to win a rushing crown, MVP, Super Bowl, and Super Bowl MVP in the same season. Yet, even though he's the owner of a record 18,355 career rushing yards, your girlfriend probably still knows him best as a one-time Dancing with the Stars champ. <laughs> Number three, Walt Payton. What can you say about Walter Payton? I'll have something to say after this, though. You may picture Payton as an elusive back with a killer stutter step, but remember the nickname Sweetness came from his personality off the field. On the gridiron, Payton was a bruising runner, a perfect fit for a blue-collar team and city, who liked to mow over defenders, refused to run out of bounds, and essentially invented the stiff arm. What a stiff arm. Peyton, who missed just one game in his career and logged 300-plus carries 10 times, retired as the leading rusher in NFL history, much of it with no offensive line, and was named to both the NFL's 1970s and 1980s all-decade team. My side note to that, though, is in the long Super Bowl that he played in with the Chicago Bears, I think it was a sad state that he did not get to score a rushing touchdown as William the Refrigerator Perry took that handoff and literally bulldozed his way in. Would have been nice to see Sweetness. 
get a touchdown. Number two, Barry Sanders. The elusive Barry Sanders was just 1,457 yards shy of Walker Payton's rushing record when he hung up his cleats. If he hadn't, there is no way Emmitt Smith tops the record books. The owner of four rushing titles, Sanders was the first running back to notch five 1,500-yard seasons, four of them in a row, and even went two entire seasons, 1991 and 1994, without a fumble. Short and stocky, Sanders was custom-built for the artificial turf of the Silverdome, able to make quick cuts and turn losses into huge gains. Of course, some stayed losses. Sanders lost 1,114 yards in his career time trying to turn small plays into home runs. Number one, Jim Brown. More of a fullback who played halfback. This eight-time All-Pro and three-time MVP never missed a game in his NFL career, though he did cut it short to go into acting. The enormous Brown could just as easily run over defenders as around them with a scary combination of size and speed that helped him lead the league in rushing in all but one season of his career and rush for over 1,000 yards seven times. He fell short by four yards once. In seasons that lasted just 12 or 14 games, Brown averaged more than one TD per game in his career and averaged 5.2 yards per carry, the highest in NFL history. So there you have it to close out this show. Top 10 running backs of all time. Uh, hopefully in the coming weeks I look to have some interviews with some fellow podcasters uh, I may end up being on some podcast shows never know but uh, I want to thank those of you who listen in and support and give me your feedback because it is greatly appreciated and I look forward to meeting more fellow podcasters and trading notes and trading time so until next time Take care of yourself and each other. God bless you. And I'll be back with you most likely tomorrow as I am keeping my eyes and ears open on the situation with NCAA college football. So stay tuned. This is A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'm Anthony Smith. I'm signing out. Until next time.